Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. Arcseedkits.com. Today is February 21st, 2022, and our first story, Vladimir Putin has formally recognized Eastern separatists as independent states, effectively backing their claims, which many believe is a precursor to a full-scale invasion. Explosions and conflict are reported in the Eastern region, and many fear this could lead to World War III if China exploits the crisis to invade Taiwan. In our next story, one Antifa is dead in Portland after a local got into a shootout with the extremist group. Media is pushing lies and confusion abound, but this is the nature of the escalation of conflict in the U.S. In our last story, Canadian authorities have been bragging about injuring protesters, and the deputy prime minister says the emergency powers will be made permanent. Things are getting hot, to say the least. If you like the show, leave us a good review and give us five stars. Now, let's get into that first story. Videos that reportedly show shelling, bombs, explosions, and conflict all erupting in eastern Ukraine. It's hard to know exactly what's happening because the U.S. wants war. But perhaps so does Russia. And everybody's got their opinion. The mainstream press in the United States says that Russia is pushing the line. The Biden administration has made it clear we will not allow this. But critics, activists, the anti-war left and right are pointing out none of this seems to make sense. Why would Russia attack now of all times? I mean, during the Trump administration, seemingly nothing was happening. During the Obama administration, it was the apocalypse. And then you get a lull. It does sound kind of like maybe... It is the Democratic establishment that's pushing for war with Russia and trying to gain control of Ukraine to bring it into NATO. It's hard to know for sure, to be completely honest. And there is a good reason to believe that Vladimir Putin is making moves to invade Ukraine now. It makes sense. Donald Trump, for better or for worse, he was a madman. I mean, some people say he's a madman in a positive sense. Some people say he was a madman in a very negative sense. But Vladimir Putin felt it However, whichever way you spin it, Donald Trump would not have allowed Afghanistan to have occurred. He would have it would have been scorched earth. Donald Trump would not allow what's happening in Ukraine to occur under his watch. He would not be that president. So perhaps it does make sense. Vladimir Putin knows now is his only chance. He needs to gain control of Ukraine, and he can do so by invading in the east and making his way to Kiev. And it's possible this is part of the Russian agenda. But I got I to gotta be honest. I don't know if I completely believe 
the narrative coming out of the Biden administration. It doesn't make sense to me that Russia would try to invade from the east to make its way to Kiev. It makes more sense if they wanted Ukraine, they'd go and take Ukraine. But the reality there is they took Crimea and not a whole lot was done under the Obama administration. Putin may be hoping he can seize more territory from Ukraine. And the latest news suggests we could be on the verge of very serious conflict. And worst case scenario, I'm going to say it, World War Three. Now, I don't like to play that game. World War Three, uh, everybody scream because I think a lot of outlets are pushing this simply because it's going to get clicks. It's the it's the shock title. But then I start doing all this research and all these articles pop up constantly screaming World War Three. And maybe the reality is it's not just shock content. Maybe there really is a strong possibility of a World War Three. Maybe we're actually in it. If Russia makes a move for Luhansk and Donetsk, China, seeing the opportunity from a distracted West, could move into Taiwan. And then it's just balls to the walls from there. North Korea goes nuts. Iran goes nuts. Everyone sees an opportunity in the chaos. And then you get a World War III. The latest news is that Vladimir Putin, the Kremlin, they are going to recognize separatist republics in Ukraine. It's kind of an absurd statement because the, the the separatist groups in eastern Ukraine don't actually have all that much control of these regions and they're not all that expansive. But it matters because they want military assistance from Russia. Russia could be playing this game so they could say, well, you know, we recognize the independence. People have a right to self-governance. What's that? You want our troops? Well, don't look at us. It's the independent Republic of Luhansk that wants Russian troops to enter this territory. We're not invading Ukraine. We're sending military assistance to an independent nation. Do you think the West will stand by and allow that to happen? The answer is no. Do you think Joe Biden has the wherewithal, the capacity to defend a Ukraine from a Russian invasion? The answer is no. And knowing that, As much as I don't believe the Biden administration, I think there's a really good reason Putin wants to make this move, and it could be disastrous for the world. It's a reckless game, man. But you know that the U.S., man, they've wanted Ukraine for a while now. There's a lot to do with natural gas, energy prices. It has a lot to do with Joe Biden and Burisma. And maybe all of this is just an opportunity for Biden to cover up whatever dirty games he was playing with the Ukrainian energy company Burisma, where his son was on the board of directors. But let's read through the news, talk about the latest conflict, what it means for Putin to recognize the Eastern quote-unquote republics, and why people are now screaming World War III. And I'm going to say it right off the bat. The first and most obvious reason they're screaming it, because you're going to click on it. Let's just be honest about that. And then I struggle with whether or not I want to include World War III in the title of this video for that exact reason, but I need to actually answer all of these articles with these questions, it's, it's, it's tough the way the media plays these games, to be completely honest. And, and full disclosure, I know full well World War III gets clicks. But maybe there's something to this. Maybe it's just my distrust of the media why I would think it's not a legitimate question. Maybe there really is a question about a World War III or some great conflict because of what's happening here. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com, become a member to help support all of our work. We have a team of journalists. I think we might have like 10 or so. I'm not entirely sure, but we have a, we have a big team around 30 or so plus people here. All of these jobs are possible because you guys are members at TimCast.com. As a member, you'll get access to our exclusive members only shows like the green room with our guests from TimCast IRL hanging out, talking candidly off, cam- uh, you know, off the show. 
We also have the Timcast IRL podcast members only segments Monday through Thursday at 11 p.m. But the most important thing is all of our journalists are employed because you guys are members. We do have some ads. We do have some sponsors, but we rely on individuals supporting us. It's the safest way to do it. It's the most powerful way to support us, and we're greatly appreciative if you do. So go to TimCast.com, sign up, but don't forget to smash that like button right now. Subscribe to this channel. Share this video wherever you can. Let's read the news. Axios reports Putin to recognize separatist republics in Ukraine. Russian President Vladimir Putin has told his German and French counterparts that he intends to soon sign a decree recognizing two breakaway republics in eastern Ukraine as independent. The Kremlin announced on Monday, Putin is expected to give a televised address imminently. Why it matters. The separatists don't hold all of the territory they claim and have asked for Russian military assistance. Recognition could thus be a de facto declaration of war from Putin. But you need to understand too. sidestep real quick fourth and fifth generational warfare. And what we're seeing right now is exactly that. Warfare used to be relatively straightforward in an era where media wasn't um, so readily available. Communications were harder to come by, slower as it were. War could simply be, they got in a tank, they marched those tanks up the lines, they fired shells, they took the territory and said, it's ours now. With fourth generational warfare, you get proxy wars, insurgent groups leading the charge in certain countries where the U.S. can be like, don't look at us. It's a local rebel faction. Just so happens they support them. And fifth generational warfare, of course, psychological manipulation and propaganda. What we're seeing now could very well be fourth and fifth generational warfare. The fourth generational warfare scenario here is that these separatist groups are actually just Russian proxies. And Russia feigns ignorance saying, well, you know, we just support the independence of these groups. And the fifth generational warfare here is the intelligence and propagandistic on to- uh, efforts on top of that. Well, it's an independence movement and we recognize them. And then they so distrust, mistrust. They make it very difficult for you to understand what's going on. So the only thing you can do is say, well, I guess I trust the government. My friends, if you trust the government, you have not been paying attention to history. That being said, it's a very difficult position to be in. I trust the U.S. more than I trust Russia, to be completely honest. I think Vladimir Putin has got his eye on expansion and some kind of pseudo Soviet Union reemergence, the federal, the, the Russian trade union or something of that effect. But man, I certainly don't trust Joe Biden. So I'll put it this way. On a scale of one to 10 in trust, Joe Biden gets a two and Vladimir Putin gets a one. It's not saying much to me, completely honest. They go on to say the separatists declared independence in 2014 and have waged a low scale war against Ukrainian forces since then with military backing from Moscow. The fighting has escalated since Thursday with Kiev accusing the separatists of persistent shelling across the line of contact. Analysts expect Russian recognition of the separatist republics to be followed by deployment of peacekeeper forces, but it's unclear whether they would seek to secure the territory the separatists currently hold or the entirety of the areas they claim. See the map. At a time when the White House continues to warn of an imminent imminent large-scale invasion, Putin's latest moves could be interpreted as a sign that his immediate military focus is on the eastern Donbass region and not on the capital of Kiev. And that's exactly what I was saying in the beginning. This idea that they're putting out that Russia is going to take Kiev and then go after supporters of Zelensky, the president, things like that. That sounds absurd to me. What we can see is that Russia is making a very slow and controlled move. And I would imagine what they really want 
is to control the territories, areas north of Crimea, which means their expansion here, it certainly won't stop. Russia does not want Ukraine in NATO because it would put Western forces at their doorstep. Have you seen the price of gold lately? It's hitting all-time highs. And when it comes to investing in gold, check out Noble Gold Investments. They have a track record of excellence that's second to none. Just look at their thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot, Google, and the Better Business Bureau. Customers rave about their knowledgeable staff, smooth investment process, and life-changing results, which you can see for yourself online. That's the kind of reputation you can count on. But it's not just about the reviews. Noble Gold Investments truly care about their clients. They take the time to understand your unique needs and goals, and they give expert guidance every step of the way. That level of personalized service is rare in this industry. Look, when it comes to securing your financial future, you can't afford to take chances. Go with the gold company that has earned the trust of countless investors. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com slash Tim Pool today and discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or call them at 877-646-5347. Again, that's 877-646-5347. Now, one of the most important issues is access to the Black Sea, which is why it is believed Russia annexed Crimea or conquered it, however you want to, whatever you want to claim. They, they brought in their troops back in 2014. They said, oh, there was a vote and they all decided to join Russia. But as you can see here, Axios's map still shows Ukraine. St- still, uh, it still shows Crimea as a part of Ukraine, though there is a dotted line there because Russia currently occupies and controls it. I believe it's very obvious Russia will do the same thing. They are slow rolling this. They know Joe Biden is weak. They know he can't handle it. Now, where does this all lead to? I mean, surely if if Putin takes these eastern regions, why should Americans care? To be completely honest, I'm not entirely sure we should care. Of course, there's Western interests. There's the interests of our allies and Eastern Europe. So what? Russia wants some of this territory. Okay. Well, the issue, I suppose, for Europe, European Union, is gas prices. Americans, I don't think we have anything in this other than we want to support our European allies. But the problem is, how are you going to rally the support of the American population for your conflict in Eastern Europe when you won't even defend your southern border? With that being the case, I don't think Joe Biden's got any strong reason for why the U.S. should be sending troops to Eastern Europe at all. Other than expanding some kind of Western, I don't know, elitist global plan or something like that. Look, while we criticize Joe Biden and Trudeau as and the World Economic Forum, it sure is interesting. They're very they're very concerned about Ukraine and Joe Biden's not concerned about the United States. Perhaps the real issue is that Joe Biden is not allegiant. He does not care for the United States. He cares more for the international agenda, as it were. And, then I'm, and the reason I say that is because I'm not saying that it's like that conspiracy, like, like any one of these conspiracy theories. I'm pointing out that Joe Biden cares more about what Europeans think of him and what he can offer them than his own borders. What are the trade agreements they have? What obligations do they have? And they would use American soldiers, young people from our country to back up the agenda of Europe. It makes no sense. Sorry, it really doesn't. If you want it to make sense, you need to come out And you need to tell everybody exactly why you think it makes sense. Now, the big question here is, 
whether or not we will see some kind of World War III because of some small and lowly regional conflict in Eastern Europe. And it sounds absurd, to be completely honest, to ask this question, but maybe there's a real issue here. The New York Times reports, and again, whether you trust the New York Times or not, take it, take it with a grain of salt. Bond between China and Russia alarms U.S. and Europe amid Ukraine crisis. The Biden administration plans to build up global coalitions to counter a pact between Putin and Xi Jinping, portending a new type of Cold War. I think it's worse than that. I think it's absolutely worse than that. I think if the U.S. gets tangled up in an Eastern conflict, in an Eastern European conflict, China says, now's our chance. Taiwan is ours. And then everything just goes nuts. From foreignpolicy.com, Beijing could run Russia's playbook on Taiwan. The Ukraine crisis should refocus thinking on China's threats. Foreign policy reports as Russia edges toward a full-scale invasion. U.S. thinking is understandably focused on Ukraine. But spare a thought for how Chinese President Xi Jinping might emulate his Russian counterpart strategy. While there is much debate in Washington about a bolt from the blue Chinese invasion of Taiwan, Beijing may instead generate a political military crisis by threatening to use force. If the U.S. wants to avoid being caught flat-footed, it needs to begin preparing today. Beijing's goal is to force Taiwan to meet its political demands, the acceptance of Chinese control over the island, while preventing the U.S. from standing in the way. While it could invade Taiwan to achieve this outcome, it does not necessarily need to do so. China might be satisfied with a Hong Kong-like outcome in which a more acquiescent government of Taipei takes over and makes concessions that strengthen Chinese control of the island. Indeed, the fact that China can invade and occupy Taiwan makes coercion combined with political machinations more likely. A scenario in which the Chinese Communist Party passes a law that spells out steps that Taiwan needs to take to unify and avoid, avoid war is not unimaginable. So let's break it down. Conflict is erupting in Ukraine. We have this story from WION News. Explosion reportedly hits Donetsk airport area. Kremlin says Biden-Putin summit is premature. We have this tweet from Max Sedan. Russia's army claims it destroyed two Ukrainian APCs. It says crossed the Russian border, evacuating saboteurs from the battlefield, killing five. What's significant aren't the claims, but that it's the Russian military, not separatists making them. And then Taiwan. The U.S. is getting entangled in a regional conflict when our real interests should be a Pacific conflict. Perhaps there's nothing we can do. Perhaps the U.S. is weak and spread too thin and will not be able to hold back a growing China. Well, there's war, baby. Certainly the U.S. can try. You know, I've long wondered about this with the Trump administration. I saw Donald Trump focusing on U.S. Uh, industry. I saw Donald Trump focusing on U.S. borders. I saw the, the economic collapse. And I thought to myself, as many others did, maybe Donald Trump sees the writing on the wall that the U.S. empire is done. We couldn't stop the invasion of Crimea. We struggled with the Qatar Turkey pipeline. We struggle in Afghanistan. And Trump said, none of this is working for us. The best bet is going to be a strategic U.S. imperial retreat. That is to say, the U.S. empire be damned, shore up our borders, shore up our defense, make the United States strong, build up our factories, secure the American nation. Because if we try and keep our forces stretched out so thin around the world, they will falter and America will be crippled. 
We don't make our own medicine. Look at COVID. We don't make our own medicine. We don't make our own PPE gear. Our, our southern border is in shambles. Perhaps Donald Trump knew we were spread too thin around the world. He tried bringing our troops back from Afghanistan. He set, he set, he set the deadline. Biden botched it all. He tried bringing, our, bringing troops back from Syria and wouldn't let him do it. Maybe, maybe Donald Trump was just a, a, a crackpot, crazy guy who was the avatar of the anger of the populist American movement. Or maybe he actually knew something that these people don't, or he was willing to admit something they won't. We cannot be the world's police. We cannot spread this thin. We will not conquer the planet. And it's time to bring it on home and just make Americans as comfortable and responsible and resilient as possible. I'm not saying that's true. I don't know for sure. I'm just saying maybe that was a big reason. Trump knew this was coming. He knew China was growing. He knew that we were playing into their growth. Joe Biden will go right back to the old playbook. Reuters reports UK sees threat to Taiwan if West does not support Ukraine. I highlight this story from only a few days ago from Reuters to show that the propaganda goes both ways. If you don't support Ukraine, then China will invade. No, sorry. It seems to me what makes the most sense is that the U.S. will be split too thin if we focus on Ukraine. And that's what's happening. Sending troops there. Express.co.uk reports World War III fears were sparked after Russia violated agreement nuclear escalation risk. I'm sorry, this story is actually from today. The Ex Express says a spokesman for Prime Minister Boris Johnson told a media briefing today that intelligence reports suggest Russian President Vladimir Putin intends to launch an invasion of Ukraine. The intelligence we are seeing suggests that Russia intends to launch an invasion and that President Putin's plan has already begun. We're seeing elements of the Russian playbook that, that we could expect to see in certain situations starting to play out in real time. Western leaders fear that Russia's military will move to Ukraine soon, having already engaged in military drills on its border with the country. It's not the first time, however, that Russia has been accused of ramping up tensions in Eastern Europe. This goes back to 2014 and in 2018, when Russian forces fired at and seized three Ukrainian naval vessels. So the article here is just a concern about what Russia will do. But we have this from the World Socialist website. This one I highlight to show you what the socialists are thinking. U.S. NATO escalate war threats against Russia. Are you ready for World War III? Now, perhaps this is another angle to the World War III line. Propaganda. The world socialists allowing the expansion of Russia. Maybe they're happy about some kind of Soviet expansion, Soviet-like expansion, and they're trying to scare you into denouncing this. Or maybe the reality is U.S. imperialism is a quote, quote, U.S. imperialism is recklessly marching to the brink of World War III. I simply ask the World Socialist website, why do they not say such a thing with China and Taiwan? You know, I got to be honest. I don't disagree. I think U.S. imperialism is marching us towards World War III. It's one of the reasons I voted for Trump in 2020. Not because I think he's a great leader or anything like that, because I'm like, hey, I'll take it. It's better than empire. But oh, Trump was a fascist, please. Trump wouldn't even deploy National Guard or military over the riots. But what about China? China is absolutely pushing imperialism, expanding in Africa, South America. It's been for a long time. And they are marching us equally towards World War III, which is why I genuinely believe there's a real prospect here. 
of some kind of great global conflict. Nobody expects it. Let's talk about civil war for a second. Not to not to to harp on this issue of civil war to, to, to deviate, but to point out in the United States, no one thought it would happen. They said, no, no, none of the cannons will be loaded. No one will fight. There will be no, there won't be state versus state. And then it happened. The story is that at Fort Sumter, when the, when the uh, Union troops were occupying the fort and the South said, get out, people set up on a hilltop picnicking, thinking it was funny. Nothing was going to happen. And then shelling happened. And even then they didn't think anything would emerge from it, but it did. So when you see stories like this, people might say, no, there won't be a World War III. It won't. Nobody expects that to be because no one wants that to be. But what happens? China is already, they've been claiming Taiwan. I made videos about China and Taiwan, and I get these weird Chinese bot, you know, accounts where they're like, Taiwan is not a country. It's part of China already. We can't invade our own country. And I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, okay. If anything, Taiwan is the real government of China. Because you know the story, basically, back when the communists were taken over, the actual government of China fled to Taiwan, where they've held up since then. That's why people jokingly refer to China as West Taiwan. But of course, the Chinese Communist Party has power, and they'll make their moves. From USA Today, who wins a Russian war against Ukraine? It could be China, Iran, and North Korea. Dictators in the rest of the world may see the opportunity for mischief if Russian troops invade Ukraine. Now, this, this gentleman for USA Today is not arguing, for the most part, World War III, but let's be real. If China takes Taiwan, if Iran expands the, you know, their conflict, uh, expands the conflict in the Middle East, you've got Yemen being backed by certain forces associated with Iran. You've got Saudi Arabia. You've got Middle Eastern conflict. You've got North Korea firing nukes. Everyone will seize upon the opportunity. Business Insider wrote this January 6th. Five places where World War III could start in 2022. Now, I just got a call. I just got a shout out, Business Insider. Come on. This was an unwarranted article. Let's be real. It was unwarranted. We don't need back then to be talking about it. But you know what? I got to hand it to them. For being almost two months ago, they actually, they actually nailed it. They really did. Five places. They showed this Taiwanese M110 self-propelled howitzers fire during exercises in South Taiwan, May 30th, 2019. They say, in the five places we have... First, Taiwan. Over the past year, long-simmering U.S. concerns over the Chinese threat to military seem to have come to a boil. The potential for miscalculation is immense. The U.S. maintained a studied ambiguity towards Taiwan for the past 40 years, but it's escalating. Iran. Oh, I'm sorry. The first was, uh, was actually Ukraine. I skipped over that one. The first was Ukraine. And the second was Taiwan. And that's the point. They nailed it. Ukrainian troops from Donbass Battalion trained with small arms outside Mar Maripol, Ukraine, easily the most likely flashpoint for great power war in 2022 lies along the border of Ukraine and Russia. Russia's immediate concerns involve the acquisition, uh, the Ukrainian acquisition of Turkish drones along its border regions. Russia publicly argued it wants to resolve the issue of Ukraine and of Russia's relationship with NATO on a permanent basis. The U.S. and NATO have not responded positively to these overtures, but have notably failed to guarantee Ukraine's security. If Russia launches an invasion of Ukraine, things could get ugly quickly. Direct Russian military action would put immense pressure on the U.S. to respond in some fashion. However, the U.S. can support Kiev in several ways without direct intervention. So, okay. The question about all of this is whether or not if Russia does send in the military into, into um, the eastern regions of Ukraine, will U.S. troops be involved? 
And the simple answer is maybe not. It would be too overt. But man, Russia's not this global power they used to be. The Soviet Union collapsed. China is more of a threat. But Russia is powerful and they have nukes. And they have, they've got military force. If they invade and the U.S. directly confronts them, that's where things go south. Because now it's Russia versus the U.S. But I want to point something out. I think the U.S. and the Ukraine will ultimately lose this conflict. The U.S. does not seem prepared for direct involvement, and Russia does. Putin knows this. He knows Biden is flailing. He knows the U.S. is weak. It's another morning, and you're all set for work. You grab your coffee, head out the door, and your car decides today's the day it won't start. Panic sets in. You're not just late. You're stranded. Get ahead of unexpected car repairs before they strike with CarShield, the most trusted vehicle protection company. For almost 20 years, CarShield has saved millions of drivers from repair nightmares with low monthly plans that cover up to 5,000 major parts and systems, like pricey transmission and engine repairs and check engine light mysteries. Visit CarShield today at carshield.com carlson. Plans include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.com carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to carshield.com carlson and save 20% today. That's unfortunate. It means that we won't, we won't be able to defend our allies. It means that we won't be able to use the 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 fear, I suppose, of war. It's a scary thought that Russia can do whatever it wants and those of us that oppose war wouldn't do anything in response. There needs to be some reasonable fear from countries like Russia and China that the U.S. will respond. But the only thing that's happened, especially over the Biden administration, the only message that's gone out is that we won't. We won't do anything. Oh, yeah, we got troops in Eastern Europe. But Vladimir Putin was able to take Crimea under the, Biden, uh, under the Obama administration. Nothing was done. I want to show you this tweet from David Rothkopf that I think is uh, really important. He tweets, if you have lived as many of us have through the Vietnam and oil wars and the debacles that became, uh, that became the debacles they became and Guantanamo and Abu Ghraib, it is easy to be skeptical of U.S. foreign policy. But now with Ukraine, the U.S. is on the side of peace, the rule of law and defending the innocents. When I read that, I laughed a whole lot. This idea that now the U.S. is on the side of peace. Spare me. But I want to point something out. I just, I just take issue with this whole thing. Lived through Vietnam and the oil wars. Um, let me just point out. Vietnam was a debacle. Vietnam was wrong. Vietnam, man, we, got, we, got, we entered into Vietnam through a false flag attack. The Gulf of Tonkin incident. It's all BS. But um, we, we were the good guys in that circumstance. The communists were sweeping through Southeast Asia. The U.S. did a lot of bad things. But I tell you this, man. Communism is not something we, we want to be able to tolerate in this world. And it's not, an, it's not an easy thing to oppose. And there's no easy answers as to how you oppose it. Perhaps we could have just sat back and said the U.S. should mind its own business. But these countries deal with themselves. The problem is the Soviet Union wasn't. So what are the answers? I don't know. I don't like the idea of the U.S. going around world policing. 
But I actually fear the idea that we have an emergent communist faction with China, the Chinese Communist Party expanding. And boy, are they. Yep. I think uh, the U.S. is, is going to lose this one on the grand scale. Ultimately, I think the U.S. will be fine, though, but too much propaganda in the U.S. has subverted it. This idea that the U.S. is a multicultural democracy with, uh, at war with an inter- in a civil war with a constitutional republic just shows that the U.S. is being gutted from the inside. We've always been a constitutional republic. We've always been believing what we believe, but now multi, multicultural democracy is something they espouse in big cities. It is not what this country is. And if there is a civil war, China just walks all over the rest of the world. I think we'll be fine. I genuinely do. I think those of you who care for the most part are responsible. You've been paying attention, watching this show. You know what's going to happen. And you've taken reasonable, reasonable precautions for your life and the safety of your friends and family. I think people in the cities will suffer the most because they don't understand this is really, really funny. I see these charts where they're like 70% of uh, the U.S. GDP comes from blue areas. And I'm like, that's fantastic. That's, that's really great for you guys. And where does the food come from? Because the food is not a big part of the, of the country's GDP. So when y'all are making your Twitters and your Facebooks and your Ubers and you got your fancy apps that make a lot of money for a lot of people, you're going to start asking where the food went. Because... You know, food's not the most expensive thing. That's why you got to understand it's not about GDP. It's about survivability. So I don't know what's going to happen with, uh, with the global conflict, with U.S. regional conflict, with uh, civil war. It just feels like we're at the end of the fourth turning. You know, Strauss-Howe generational theory. A lot of people don't like it, but I think the easiest way to explain it is that strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. Weak men make hard times and hard times make strong men. And we are in the weak men phase, entering the hard times phase. And then afterwards, after 2028 or so, things might become prosperous again. Or the U.S. could lose. We're on the verge of that 250 years. They say an empire only lasts that long. To be fair, the U.S. US has not been an empire that long. So maybe it's unfair to bring up. But certainly something is happening. CBS News is reporting that Havana Syndrome... Some believe it's a directed energy weapon attack. High-level national security officials stricken with unexplained illness on White House grounds. Some people report hearing humming, getting a headache, losing, getting their vision blurred and light sensitivity. And it's called Havana syndrome. It's happening here in the U.S. It happened at the White House in the security perimeter. Invisible directed energy weapons, possibly from small devices or vehicles that you can't track. And it causes low tier damage, which negatively impacts you throughout the rest of your life. Happening here in the U.S. at the White House under the Trump administration. I wonder by who? Why? The future of warfare is scary. With mass communications, you got to be careful about ending someone's life. Franz Ferdinand, for instance, right? World War I. But what if you can severely cripple an economy and an administration with special directed energy weapons that are undetectable? Well, there you go. Now you can cripple your enemy. So when you go to war, you've already won. That's the scary thought here. Who's doing it and why? What I can say is conflict seems to be on the horizon, no matter how you spin it. Either world war or civil war, street violence. Some people don't want to admit it. Because maybe it's not true. They all say, oh, we've been through stuff like this. No, you haven't. This is crazy. 
the level of, of conflict has been going on. There's been conflict, I know. But you know, I've, I've looked at the data. I've talked to a lot of people. Based on the hard data alone, we're certainly on the verge of civil war. As for World War III, maybe it's just another conflict, but the ingredients all seem to be there. We'll see how it all plays out as per usual. Next segment's coming up tonight at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastirl. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you all then. Over the weekend in Portland, a far-left activist group was protesting police brutality. It was then reported that a shootout occurred. One of the extremists was killed. Several others were injured. And many of these activists, extremists, whatever you want to call them, started posting that it was far-right extremists, that they were being attacked. The police held a press conference that Antifa immediately came to and started shutting down, chanting, yelling, denouncing white supremacy. The story is actually much worse than, uh, than the way Antifa framed it. Now, the Antifa types are framing it as though they were attacked by the far right because they're politically motivated. They want people to join their side. The reality is, well, the New York Times and many other outlets are reporting it was an armed homeowner who attacked them. Someone in Portland who knows about Antifa's violence, knows about the threat they pose, warned them, and then a shootout occurred. Antifa was armed. One individual had a rifle, apparently opened fire. There may have been a shootout between the individual and the group extended uh, over a, I, I don't want to say extended period of time. I was going to say that, but it wasn't just like he opened fire on these people. No, they returned fire. And one of these individuals, these Antifa individuals, uh, went to the police and turned in their rifle. But the police also believe that they began uh, tampering with the crime scene picking up shell casings and trying to obfuscate what really went down. The reason why I say it's much worse that a homeowner got into a shootout with Antifa is not to say that the homeowner was wrong uh, if, they, if they were acting in self-defense. I don't know for sure. I can't say an individual lost their life in this. And that's always tragic. And this is exactly why we want to avoid political conflict and potential civil war. The reason I say it's worse, though, to get back to the point, is that it's not political. It's a regular person saying these extremists need to stop. It's a regular person being pulled into the fray. When regular people that don't want to be in politics, that don't care for politics, start getting involved in politics, it's when you see that we are all being swept up in some kind of conflict. And it's a scary prospect. When the fighting is just between the far right and the far left, or however you want to phrase it, well, that's somewhat insular, somewhat isolated. Regular people can look at Antifa and whatever right-wing group that are fighting in the streets and be like, ah, these people need to stop fighting. But eventually, when many people lose their lives, when Antifa destroys your city, they destroy your businesses, and they go around with guns threatening people, regular people say, enough. Aaron Danielson in Portland was shot and killed by Antifa. During the Chaz Chop in Seattle, I believe, uh, I, I believe it was three, maybe two people who were killed. There was an SUV with two teenagers and the Antifa extremists unloaded into it. That may have been the fault of the police, actually, because the police apparently kept claiming the far right was going to attack, trying to antagonize them. And so they went nuts. And when someone saw a white SUV, they were like, ah, it's the white supremacists and just started opening fire hundreds of rounds. I believe five, five, six. I'm not sure from uh, uh, semi-auto rifles, and they killed a teenager. 
So when you're a regular person and you live in Portland and you know, you know, because you've seen it, that these extremists are dangerous murderers, what do you do? Apparently in this story, the homeowner told them to get the F out. And if they went anywhere near his home, he would, he would shoot them. Well, you got to understand, this is a violent political faction who has engaged in armed conflict before, pulling people from their vehicles and beating them. Yep. Rerouting traffic and controlling streets. And yes, killing people. Aaron Danielson. Now, if you're a homeowner and you see these guys and they're armed, one of the protesters turned in a rifle to the cops. You see an armed group of extremists going, go, marching around. And you say, I am warning you to stay away from my home. And they don't listen. And they're murderous. I'm not surprised a homeowner did this. I'm worried that it escalates from here. We don't want it to happen. We don't. And uh, it's unfortunate, it's extremely tragic. Someone lost their life, but this is the direction we're going. We are, we are headed towards armed conflict. You know, a lot of people uh, will jokingly be like, you know, Tim Civil War Pool or whatever and stuff like that. Come on, guys. A homeowner opened fire on political extremists, who uh, a faction that has been involved in billions of dollars in property damage, that has institutional power, that is openly supported by the vice president that has killed people. Where do you think this is going? You think anyone's backing down? I tell you, I got more than enough arguments for our uh, friend Stephen Marsh, who came on the show. He's the guy who wrote the book, The Next Civil War, and uh, I think he gets a lot right. I think he gets uh, the overwhelming majority of his position correct in how we are headed towards civil war. I think he doesn't understand the on-the-ground issues um, and it is not an, he's not an on-the-ground guy. So his view is more of a uh, establishment, you know, media individual's perspective. Oh, the far right this, the far right that. Yeah, okay, we get it. We had him on the show. He only really was able to cite January 6th as the big, you know, threat from the right. And I'm like, yeah, I, we all know that was bad, of course. But it was, uh, um, I guess as he referred to it, as reciprocal. You watch for years, years. It has been 10 years, 10 years of uprising across the U.S. from the left. Now, admittedly, at the start with Occupy Wall Street, that's why I say 10 years and not, you know, 10 and a half or 11. In, 20, in 2011, regular people were, were outraged. But Occupy quickly got taken over by the far left extremists who then went around and, and for the most part, um, and I mean, this is fair to say, it was a peaceful occupational uh, movement. There was violence, very serious violence. And it should always be condemned. But then when you start getting into the, the Black Lives Matter movement, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, the right in this country and regular people have endured. They have sat through a decade of far left extremism. I know because I've been on the ground and witnessed the extremism firsthand. I've seen the businesses be burnt to the ground. I've seen uh, the, 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 the fighting. I've been on the ground in Ferguson shot at myself. No, no, I'm going to clarify that statement. I don't think anybody in Ferguson saw me and they're like, aha, that's him and opened fire. No, it was wanton. It was some random person opening fire into the crowd and the bullets whizzed past our heads. Me and a group of other people just dropped ourselves to the ground. There was another instance where there was rapid gunfire in Ferguson and I don't think it was direct. It was, it was directed at us. You could hear the pew, 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 pew. Um, 
we all hit the ground and the cops were like, go, go, go. And we had to like run and I inhaled a bunch of tear gas. And then I basically passed out and fell on the ground and someone splashed water in my face. Crazy. We've endured that. And now these people have sustained the violence, the extremism, the rhetoric. They are defended by media. These activist groups, these extremists, I don't even call them activists. These, these violent political extremists have allies in media trying to cover up what's going on. And a homeowner says, no. We're at the point where Portland, I, I, I feel like if you're still in Portland, I don't know what you're doing there. The cops, I don't know what the cops are doing there. You don't want to be there. And the New York Times, I'm sorry, not the New York Times, uh, Time Magazine. They've got this writer saying like, no, no, there will not be a, a, a civil war. I'm like, yo, we're in it. Stephen Marsh, he said, we're in civil strife. That's what he called it. And he said civil strife because there's like 70 plus political killings every year. He's, he's, he's wrong, in, in my opinion, um, on some of the details. I think it's fair to say he's correct, but I have a different, differing opinion. That's why I think he's wrong. So, so let, me, let me clarify. It's weird. He's correct in the sense that there are political, uh, politically affiliated groups that do engage in killings. I just don't think it's fair to say on the surface these are political killings necessarily. He refers to sovereign citizen types and um, you know, far-right anti-establishment, anti-government types. These are groups that typically don't make the press. They don't engage in systemic or organized political violence, but they do engage in violence. So his reference for why we're in civil strife, which is the precursor to civil war, I, I'm, I'm trying to get his positions right. So forgive me, Stephen, I'm going to get your positions wrong, uh, is that, um, you know, sovereign citizen types and, and, and others, you know, the left as well, but mostly the right do kill. And it's for political reasons. But I don't think it's for political reasons. You know, a sovereign citizen who's like, the police can't tell me what to do. Like, he's not challenging. The sovereign citizen is not trying to take over government. It's not institutionalized. So certainly they have, you know, crackpot views, but that's just saying a crazy person with crazy beliefs does something crazy. With Black Lives Matter, with Antifa, they're, they're engaging in institutionalized and admittedly weakly organized. I know, I know a lot of people might say like they are organized. No, they're institutionalized. They have some organizational power. I do think it's fair to say the right is more organized in certain ways, but they're not institutionalized. So they don't really have the means to do a whole lot. What we end up seeing is, uh, you know, Stephen's saying, Stephen's saying, because of the 70 plus deaths, we're in civil strife. I think it's civil war. I just think the issue is that it's, it's the shallow end. We've not yet engaged in the point where these Antifa groups move. You know what? I can't even say that. We're, we're at the point. We've been at the point. These Antifa groups, these, these armed political factions travel the country going to these protests, engaging in violence. Let me, let me show you the news. Otherwise, I'll get lost in the rant. It's a story from the New York Times. One dead in shooting at Portland protest against police violence. Five other people were wounded. Police said it appeared to be a confrontation between protesters and an armed homeowner. They say the shooting occurred at the start of a protest. It appeared to be a confrontation between armed protesters and an armed homeowner. That's what the preliminary investigation is indicating. They said they're declining to provide details about the hospitalized. The statement added that detective, detectives believed a large number of people either witnessed what happened or recorded the incident. It's a very complicated incident. and Investigators are trying to put this puzzle together. One of the victims, Daja Beck, who turns 39 on Monday, and who was contacted through her attorney, said she was shot twice. One bullet went through her side and the other grazed her knee. Ms. Beck says she was part of a volunteer motorcade group 
that was working to set up a safety plan to reroute traffic ahead of the march. We're not part of the protest. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. She said, adding that no one in the motorcade group was armed. That's the trick and the manipulation that, that the New York Times aids and abets these groups. This is, this is, it's how they obfuscate what they do. A motorcade group. They, they go in front of the protest and reroute traffic. Why? They control your streets. They tell you where you can and can't go. In Provo, Utah, when Black Lives Matter extremists were in the street and an SUV tried very slowly going through, one of them ran up and put a bullet in the driver. In Provo, Utah, look it up. So these groups are like, oh, no, no, we're, we're not part of the protest. We just, we just redirect traffic. Yeah, sure. We know who you are. We know why you're there. And we know what you're doing. When they say we were, no one in the motorcade group was armed, it's a manipulation. The motorcade group is part of Antifa. Antifa was there armed. Anybody who threatens the motorcade group would be defended by Antifa. Anyone who challenges the motorcade group would be threatened by Antifa. And there's literally video of this. A man was driving in his vehicle when a group tried blocking his car. The man pulled out a gun and said, get the F out of my way. Why? The people in the crowd all had rifles. There's no difference between the motorcade group. It's like saying that when, when you're working on a, you got a construction crew on site. Well, look, the guys doing the concrete are a part of a different group than the guys doing the, the framing. They're not the same group. Shut up. You're one group. You're doing two different things. Mrs. Beck and the group were working with one woman riding in the back of a truck because she walked slower. A man approached a small group, she claims, screaming that they were violent terrorists and repeatedly calling them a misogynist vulgarity. The man said that they were that they were the people responsible for violence in the city. Beck recounted, adding that he said, if I see you come past my house, I'll shoot you. You know, let's 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 break through the manipulation from the far left. Could it have been? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, that this guy did call them violent terrorists. Absolutely, I believe it. Could it have been that he said that he, he said they were responsible for the violence in the city? Absolutely, I believe it. Could it have been that he said, if I see you come past my house, I'll shoot you? Absolutely. But what they're probably stripping away is the more balanced context here. If I were to make an assumption, and I'd have to because this is just one individual statement and this individual is untrustworthy and a violent political extremist, all of these Antifa types are, if, if you have a group of people walking around with rifles and they have and intend to shoot people and you're working alongside them, you're a part of that group. This goes for the right the same as the left. If I see you come past my house, I'll shoot you, he says. Okay, let, let, let me tell you what I think happens. There's probably a guy seeing the group, a small group of women, the New York Times says, sure. He sees the group, regardless of who they are, some of them are armed. That's a fact. And he says probably something like, get out, get out of my neighborhood. Don't, come, don't bring this stuff here. You guys bring death and violence. And they, they probably told him to shut up. They probably said, we'll march where we want. They probably said free speech, blah, blah, blah. You know what? I don't know if they did. But I will say, they do have a right 
to march around and they do have a right to be armed. Second Amendment, First Amendment. I can respect that 100%. He says, if I see you come past my house, I'll shoot you. Perhaps he did. But what did they say to him? Did they say something like, we can do what we want? Did they say something like, we'll shoot anybody if they, if they try and stop us, if they get violent with us? Was there reciprocity here that we're not being told because this is an extremist faction seeking to lie to gain power? That's what I believe. You can't trust these Antifa types. They have killed. They will likely kill again. Now, there are far right extremist groups that have killed and will kill again. I absolutely uh, know that to be the case. I believe it to be true. But sovereign citizen types that, that you know, they're out in the middle of nowhere. They're, they're, they're not wanting to pay taxes. So what? Okay. If they engage, if they commit a crime, you stop them. If violence breaks out, you stop them. I can respect that when they try and go after these groups. Don't like any of that either. But what happens when you live in a big city and you have these people walking around with rifles in your neighborhood? And you say, get out of my neighborhood. You don't live here. You have no right. And as a homeowner, you're threatened by these people who have killed before. Let me put it this way. If a bunch of Klan members went marching around yelling Klan stuff, I'd be very alarmed. In fact, I'd tell them, stay the heck away from my property. Don't come anywhere near me. I don't trust you. Your group is historically violent beyond reproach, and I will defend my neighborhood if you bring violence here. And that being said, I believe in the Second Amendment and the First. If Antifa were walking down the street near my home or the Klan and they were armed, I'd tell them to get the F out. We don't want their, their garbage here. And that's about all I would do. Now, if they engage in any act of violence or threatening manner, I would defend my neighborhood absolutely from any violent extremist group. The issue is we're not seeing the Klan go march through neighborhoods. And you know, if they were, the media would be running it 24-7. We have seen right-wing groups go and march for free speech, but they go unarmed. Often. In more recent times, they have been armed. But you know what? I don't care who's coming through my neighborhood. I don't care what group. Bring it somewhere else. Now, if you got Proud Boys or whatever, and they're not strapped, they're not armed, I'm not going to be that worried about it. If they are armed, same as with Antifa, I'll say you got a right to keep and bear arms, but I'm watching you. Don't do anything threatening. You're playing a dangerous game. The dangerous game is not the right to keep and bear arms. The dangerous game is not having a weapon and, and exercising your rights. The dangerous game is being part of a political faction that has taken violent action against civilians and, and bystanders. Now, truth be told, the Proud Boys don't do that, but certainly Canada will still call them terrorists. And truth be told, Antifa does do that. So I can certainly understand why a homeowner would not care if he saw a bunch of Proud Boys walking down the street. Probably would still be upset. Don't get me wrong. But Antifa are the ones who have smashed windows, burned down buildings, and killed 30 plus in the past year. I'm fairly certain. I could be wrong. Uh, I don't think the Proud Boys have killed anybody. But I don't need to just use that one group and say, aha, the Proud Boys didn't kill anybody. Well, look, there are, there are far right groups that have. Like, you know, the Klan is particularly uh, irrelevant these days. I think it's estimated in only a few hundred to thousands of people are active members. And when it comes to overt white supremacy groups in the U.S., there's only around 10,000 people estimated by the federal government. I can understand why people are, are upset about this. 
and they're worried about this. They say they tried to calm him down, but as Miss Beck looked toward the crowd and her friends, that's when he started shooting. I don't believe it. I do not, be- I do not believe these people. Check this out. We've got some tweets, right? Shane D. Kavanaugh for Oregon Live says, initial, suggestion, suge- uh, initial investigation suggests an armed neighbor opened fire and struck multiple people. At least one protester returned fire, critically wounding the man per the source. Three of the people wounded, including an armed neighbor, have life-threatening injuries. The guy who opened fire is dying. So they want me to believe that this guy randomly ran up and started shooting at him? I don't buy it. Investigators recovered at least eight shell casings from the neighbor's 45 caliber gun. Cops found one rifle round. Investigators believe people at the scene removed other shell casings. So let me tell you what happened. We don't know how many shots were fired by Antifa because they tampered with crime scenes. They did it at the Chaz Chop, the, the autonomous zone. After they unloaded hundreds of rounds into an SUV and killed a teenager, they went and stripped the vehicle of evidence to make sure the cops can't figure out what happened. No, I'll tell you what I think happened. I think the neighbor was fired upon first. I really do. Why? Because we've seen the videos where a guy is in his truck and they beat him. They are armed with rifles threatening the guy. And so he gets out. He shows his weapon and says, back off. So they beat him and drag him from his vehicle. You want me to believe that the, 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 the neighbor who's uninvolved is the guy who initiated the conflict? And take a look at this. We have more, uh, more lies here. Andy No tweets, disinfo from Alex Z and the Portland Mercury. Portland police said the protest was armed. Antifa celebrated critically injuring the man in a shooting. And the Oregonian reported that one of the armed militants turned himself into the police. We were unarmed and actively working to de-escalate him and get him to leave. One of the people shot Saturday night told us he wasn't threatened by us. He walked up to us yelling about protesters in his neighborhood and opened fire within 90 seconds. Don't believe you. That guy's critically injured. Where's his testimony? And you say you were unarmed? Then how was he critically injured? Look at this. One of these people said that a few of them have experienced being arrested while in the ER. One of us got a chunk off uh, a chunk of the shooter. Good, they said. Yeah, I'll tell you what I think happened. I wonder if they injured him first and then he opened fire. They say he opened fire first. You know what? It's all lies. It's all manipulations. It's all for political power. One of these individuals I can't, I, I, I don't want to show, called for the death of Andy No. So let me ask you, let me ask you. A local person in a shootout with far left extremists, critically injured. Some people say there won't be a civil war for reasons like that. Oh, there's no appetite for violence. Some people have told me it's just the elites. It's the political elites fighting each other. My response to this is, when has there ever been a war or conflict conflict that wasn't the elites using poor people as their pawns? Literally every single conflict. I mean, obviously, figuratively, every single conflict. You know, there's there's obviously you can go back a thousand years and it's less so because people were more tribal. But where we're at now, when when you see regular people rising up. I don't think it's a good thing. I think something needs to be done to stop Antifa because the cops won't do it. Cops in Ottawa are just beating people. There's cultural problems around police. Cops are not engaging uh, in Seattle. In fact, they've defended Antifa. Good luck back in the blue. They're going to defend Antifa every chance they get. In New York, they defend Black Lives Matter. They'll arrest you if you oppose them. You'll go to prison. Antifa gets away with it. Look at January 6th compared to January 20th. 
January 20th, 2017, 300 plus people go around ransacking D.C. I was there. I watched it happen. And the police did, you know, weekly try getting a conviction. No, not only did most of those people get acquitted, or I should say, you know, they were they were they they, they were charges were dismissed. They sued the city and won and they received millions of dollars. January 6th, that insurrection, hmm, solitary confinement. So you see what's going on. When regular people start stepping into the fray, that, that's when things get crazy. In, mo- in, in, in many civil wars, there's not just one or two factions. In Syria, I believe there was like 12 or 13. In Egypt, during the past revolution several years ago, there were like 10 or 11 different factions. Granted, they weren't fighting each other. They were all fighting the government, but it still led to chaos in the streets and people being gunned down by the military. So I wonder, I really do, I wonder. You know, there are a lot of experts who believe civil war is extremely likely. Regular people genuinely believe that I think around like half this country believes that we are we are approaching a, a civil war. And there was this great uh, poll of five different regions of the U.S., Northwest, Midwest, South, etc. They asked people whether they thought that their region should break off from the U.S. to form its own country. I did the math broke down each region by population size to uh, extrapolate the data and normalize it for each region. And 37.2% of the U.S. is in favor of their region shattering off, fracturing off from the, from the federal government and forming their own regional country. In the West, it's mostly Democrats. In the South, it's mostly Republicans. In the Midwest, it's mostly independents. And then up in the uh, Northeast, um, there's the heartland area. Uh, up in the Northeast, Heartland area is like Illinois and like the Great Lakes. That's mostly independent voters want to break off. In the Northeast, it's a, it's a moderate mix, around a third of individuals of all parties, something like that. It's crazy. It's a crazy stat. But look at what's happening. People are going to leave Portland over this, and many have. People are leaving California over mandates and, and, and uh, going to Texas and Florida. That is political polarization. It is political polarization becoming geographical polarization. You know, I want to I point something out real quick. Because you may have noticed on this Twitter account, there's a, a reporter that I have blocked. The only reporters that I've ever blocked, I shouldn't call them reporters. I don't block reporters. I block individuals who work for nonprofit activist organizations that seek to smear and propagandize. I think it's fascinating that whoever this person is now works for the Portland Mercury. And I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Canadian police, the Trudeau government, they may have purged the Freedom Convoy protest, arresting people and towing nearly 100 vehicles. They may have won the battle, but because of it, they could lose the war. A Pyrrhic victory, if you will. Leaked messages are coming out showing Mounties mocking people. You've got the deputy prime minister coming out and saying, we need to make our emergency powers permanent to seize your resources, to freeze your banks. The exposure of the elites, well, it's going to hurt them in the long run and it could lead to greater protest, hopefully. I'm not entirely sure if people will maintain that energy, but we're all seeing this for what it is now. If it weren't for the protesters up in Kenda, We wouldn't know exactly what they wanted to do, why they were going to do it, 
And they probably would have slipped in this legislation without anyone noticing. But you create an uproar. They are forced to expose what they're doing and who they are. And now we can all see it. Of course, many in the mainstream media would tell you that it's a conspiracy theory. I should say corporate press. It's a conspiracy theory that these, these world leaders, these corrupt political elites have a shared agenda. That they're working together in any way is considered to be nonsense. But it's obvious. And it's common sense. That's what I always found strange about a lot of these stories. You'd say something like Trudeau in Canada doing this is on par with a global world agenda or something. And they'll say you're making things up and it's crazy. But then you see Joe Biden's administration talking to Trudeau and telling him to crack down with federal authority on the protests. Like that's literally reported. We know they're doing it and they're and they're and they're doing it because they have trade agreements and a shared agenda. The same is true for Europe and these other countries. Of course, world leaders are working together. Why wouldn't they be? I mean, heck, we have the G7, the G20. We have the UN. Of course, they're all working together on a shared agenda. And now we can see the mask slipping. So in a sense, the freedom truckers did us a great service by standing up and saying no. And in a sense, Trudeau has also done us a great service exposing the authoritarian psychopathy that exists within the minds of these political elites. We have several stories, but it extends well beyond just the government. This story really caught my eye. Canadian authorities probe leaked messages of police allegedly celebrating injuring protesters. We have a reporter from Rebel News who was struck and injured by the police. Take a look at this story real quick as we move on. Quote, time for the protesters to hear our jackboots on the ground. This is who these people are. Talk about a glorious, glorious service to all of us. Why? Well, look, when Black Lives Matter goes and burns down buildings, I have in my mind a vision of a good police officer who says, I want to make sure people are safe. I want to make sure the rioters aren't destroying businesses and ruining lives. Instead, what happened in New York? Many of these cops did nothing. What happened in Chicago? Many of these cops did nothing. Why? They were basically trying to punish the city for not providing them the support they thought they deserved. So mom and pop suffered. Then we got COVID lockdown and the police said, well, we're exempt in a lot of ways. So we're going to go jackboot, stomp around and bash windows in ourselves, destroying small businesses. That is not what police are supposed to be. The idea of policing in the police institution, I think, is a good thing. But we can clearly see the pitfalls in it. And now conservatives are getting a strong wake up call to who the police really are. Now, perhaps many cops, the good ones, they quit. Or perhaps cops in Canada are just trash. Perhaps police in rural areas in the U.S. and more conservative areas do a better job because they hold these principles of their communities. And maybe police in big cities are just awful Democrat appointed criminals or morons. Either way, it's never good to see journalists injured, arrested or threatened by police. And to see it happening now to Rebel News is it's horrifying. We have this story here from Rebel. Rebel News journalist Alexa Lavoie attacked by Ottawa police. I mean, we're talking about cops beating a woman who's on the ground reporting. They say, on Saturday, the gridlock continued amid loud pops. Rebel News's Quebec-based reporter Alexa Lavoie was directly hit by police during the melee, injuring her. 
Prior to the melee, at least two officers can be seen accidentally dropping some of their less lethal firearms and attempting to pick them back up as other officers push back the line. Ezra Levant tweeted, I just spoke with Alexa Lavoie, a brave reporter who was assaulted by Trudeau's police. She tells me a cop hit her three times in the club and then shot a tear gas canister at her leg from point blank range. Trudeau has instructed his police to attack journalists. So what's happening now? What's happening now in Canada? Well, it's a big wake up call for conservatives. As Ezra Levant tweeted, and it went viral, he said that he used to be back the blue. He would back the blue and give them, give them the benefit of the doubt. Not anymore. You know, I've long understood this because I've witnessed it firsthand in, in Ferguson at Occupy Wall Street. It's amazing to me that there are people who still maintain that the police gave a free pass to the left. They did in some circumstances. They did in many circumstances. Or to put it mildly, they tend to give more leeway than they would to the right. But it is true that police have brutally beaten protesters on the left. It's true that police have instigated violence. I've watched it happen. Occupy Wall Street became prominent because a cop pepper sprayed three women who weren't even in the protest group that was being arrested. Of course, they were protesters, but they were walking on the sidewalk, minding their own business. A protest group was in the street. Police were trying to arrest them. These three women started yelling. Tony Baloney, they call him. Anthony Bologna walked over and pepper sprayed these women. Why? For no reason. That's the kind of thing that triggers a response. In response to a tweet from Ezra Levant, where he says, Trudeau's deputy, uh, deputy prime minister, Christina Freeland, who is also a director of Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum, says she plans to make her emergency powers permanent. I hope you realize where we are going and why I want to stress the point that we better, you, you better thank your lucky stars for these protesters up in Ottawa. Because a lot of what was going on with the World Economic Forum and these elites has been happening under uh, under radar. They've been flying under radar. We've not been seeing it. But because of what happened in Ottawa, they were forced to reveal their hand, at least to a certain degree. She wants to make her emergency powers permanent. In response, I said a quote from Chris, uh, Christia Freeland, and this is in jest, mind you, in order to ensure our security and continuing stability, Canada will be reorganized into the first galactic empire for a safe and secure society, which I assure you will last for 10,000 years. And then Canada will have peace. That's the joke, right? That's the birth of the empire in Star Wars. For them to come out and overtly just state this is what we're doing. Well, it's bold. They've been doing things like this. They want to do more. You see, a lot of people don't realize the social credit score system is, is being built. The infrastructure is here. Check out Majid Nawaz on Joe Rogan's podcast. The infrastructure for the global social credit system is here. Whether or not they can turn it on is up to you. The Toronto Star, the full text of Christia Freeland's remarks during Emergencies Act announcement. It's truly quite amazing. The government will also bring forward legislation to provide these authorities to FinTrack on a permanent basis. And there it is, my friends. They'll freeze your money. They'll steal your assets. They'll tell you that you cannot buy that gallon of milk for you've had one too many this month. You know, I'm watching Majid Nawaz talk to Joe Rogan about this. And we have, this, uh, quote, we have this clip here. 
where Majid is talking about programmable currencies. And Majid Nawaz uh, shows a quote as a man in the UK, like the second highest guy, he handles their economics, uh, economic policy. And he says that we want centralized digital currencies that are programmable. Majid goes on to explain what this means. It means that you could have money in the bank and you go and swipe your card and it says this money cannot be used for the purchase of Doritos. Why? Eh, you've had too many. Majid says there's another word for this social credit scoring or social credit system or something that effect. It was funny because when I heard that, I was like, um, it's 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 a command economy. It's, it's literal communism. That's what they do. They give you your ledger and you go and you say, I want milk, bread and eggs. And they say you've been allotted one milk, one bread, one eggs for the month. Take it and leave and you can't come back. Telling you what items you can have is communism. Social credit score systems. It's funny because we need a new word for it. It's, it's somewhat different. It is. But this is what's coming. Now, I, I, I want to show you why, why I'm bringing this up. In Canada, Canada, the deputy prime minister said FinTrack, permanent basis. There's, she's specifically referring to the ability to freeze crowdfunding, to, to control uh, cryptocurrencies, to freeze your bank accounts. That's what they're implementing. The Daily Mail reports Canadian MP says single mom on minimum wage has had her bank account frozen for donating $50 to the Freedom Convoy. Trudeau is blasted for draconian law that would have never been imposed on Black Lives Matter. Canadian MP Mark Strahl tweeted Sunday, the bank account of a single mom called Brian was frozen. Authorities say 206 bank accounts had been frozen under the power granted by the Federal Emergencies Act. The powers have been in effect, but Parliament is expected to ratify the action on Monday. Oh, there you go. Financial accounts of those who refuse to leave the protests in Ottawa will remain frozen while the act is in force. The Ottawa protests, the movement's last major stronghold, appeared to be largely over by Sunday. Fencing and police checkpoints remained. And they're going to be bringing back the, the fencing to, the, to D.C. as well. They want you to know it is not a government of the people anymore. They own you. They own the system, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Now, this story is scary. This is a woman who heard online, protesters are driving through the streets. They're driving down the highways. And she said, I'll give 50 bucks. The story as it's being told is that at the time she donated, the protest wasn't deemed illegal. The protest was deemed a protest or a convoy. So what happens is, here's what will happen. To, here, I'll, I'll, give, I'll tell you what happened to you. You hear in the news, a guy wants to um, give out free hugs. And you say, I like that idea. So you donate $50 to the free hugs man. A month goes by and the free hugs man has a group of people giving free hugs downtown during a pandemic. And they say this is an illegal action and anyone who supported it will have their assets frozen. And you say, I didn't support the 50 people doing it. It was the one guy. No one cared. This was the, the, the story as it goes. And maybe it's, maybe it's not true. Maybe she donated after. I don't know. What's being reported is she donated when the government wasn't cracking down on this, when it was just truckers honking their horns. Single mom, you will have your bank account frozen. They will do it to you. You know what, man? I've been saying this for a while. 
you take a look at those protests up in Milwaukee, I think it was in Wisconsin, where Black Lives Matter set fire to a house twice, where they then went to someone else's home to protest him. And when he brandished a shotgun from his inside his own home, the police arrested him. I warned you and I'll warn you again. I said this a year and a half ago. I'll say it now. I said it almost two years ago. They will come to your house, the police. They will arrest you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So don't back, back the blue. We're past this. I assure you, this will be the case. I love how the left freaked out. And they posted this video saying, Tim Puan, unhinged rant. Whatever. I'm right. Here's what'll happen. Black Lives Matter or Antifa will show up in front of your home to protest you saying you're a bigot. And you'll say, stay off my property. Here's, here, I'll tell you what, what's, what's already happened. When you then try and say, if, you know, I've got, I am armed. And if you come in here, the cops will arrest you. Why? It's easier to arrest one person than it is to arrest 50. So if 50 people throw up screaming, the cops are going to be like, just arrest the guy who's in his own home watching football because it's easier. And you think it won't happen to you. It will. It's already happened to many people. I'll tell you what happens next. After the extremists are emboldened because the government is empowering them, your assets are frozen. They show up to your house like they did Tucker Carlson and they bang on your door. Bang, bang, bang. And they break it. And then the media lies and says, no, nope, never happened. No, they're, they're exaggerating. Your wife hides in the cupboard like Tucker's wife did as lunatics bang on the windows. I'll tell you what happens. Cassandra Fairbanks, a good friend of mine in her home in D.C., and they started firing, launching fireworks at her house and banging on her windows. They will terrorize you. They want you to know. They want you to feel unsafe. What happens next? I have seen these mobs in action. They have, they're effectively an apparatus of the state, mind you. And that's why the state allows them to do what they do. Like in, I think it was Portland, where they smashed up a storefront and then burned all their merchandise in the street. When the crowd comes to your home and bangs on your door, one of these days, one of your doors will break open and the door will be pushed aside. And then a couple of the people in the crowd will peek inside. And as they walk to the door and take a look inside to see what's going on, the door broke open, other people will see them and think they must be going in. So those people will walk forward and walk in the house. Other people will see them walk in the house and then everyone will. Let me explain to you how this happens. At protests in New York City, you've got facilitators, as they call them. They're in front of the march and they're fanning them in a certain direction. They then bring them up certain streets and point. Something I learned long ago, which is very hilarious you can control the direction of the crowd by simply walking in front of them. So one day I was walking in front of uh, the crowd and they were going down Broadway, I think. And I turned left off of Broadway. Why? 
because I wanted to just let them start passing me by. But several other people walked in the same direction when they saw me walk in the direction, probably assuming that's the way the march was going. And then the march went in that direction. Now, I'm not saying I commanded or moved the march or anything like that. It may have just been that me and a few other journalists did the same thing at the same time, but everyone assumed the journalists were the leaders and they followed them. And all of a sudden they're marching on a side street because someone sees you and follows, everyone else does. Like a swarm, like birds in the sky, right? If your door gets kicked in, or bro- broken by someone banging on it, that person may not have had the intention of going inside your house. But someone else will see the door open and assume, you know, hey, what happened? The door opened. And then like dominoes falling, people will pour in. Then they'll start smashing your stuff. Then they'll beat you. They'll push you down the stairs. You think you think it's not going to happen? You're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. We're already at the point where they were banging on Tucker Carlson's door, wife hiding in the cupboard. We're already at the point where they've shown up to people's homes. We're already at the point where in Wisconsin, I believe it was, they set fire to someone's house twice. The fire was put out. They came back and set fire to it again. That's where we're at. And you know, the government, the US, Canadian, UK, whatever, they wouldn't do this to BLM. Of course not. So what we see now is anarcho-tyranny. On the ground, BLM and other extremists will be able to smash up your windows and kick your doors in and, and, and trespass on your property. And you can't do anything about it. Mostly in cities, mind you. If you live in the middle of nowhere, like West Virginia, you'll probably be okay because you're probably armed. And the cops out there are probably you know, more likely to be Trump supporters. But imagine this scenario. The far left extremists come to your house and you threaten them. Stay away from my home. Look what happened in Portland. People are dead. The government then says, um, we're going to have to freeze your bank accounts because you're you're an extremist. Once we get to that social credit scoring system that Majid Nawaz is talking about, and and he's completely correct, there will come a point where Black Lives Matter will be marching down the street and they will have full access to millions, tens of millions of dollars. You'll organize a protest and then your bank accounts will be frozen. They will use this power to force people out of business, to silence people, because they pray. They pray that you are a coward. They're betting on it. Don't let them be right. Their hope is that as they freeze banks, steal your money, and support far-left extremism, they hope you'll remain terrified. And so you won't speak up. You won't speak out. You won't protest. It's the easiest thing, really. Just give up. Don't fight. You're a loser. That's what they're hoping. But as we've seen with the truckers, a small amount of thoughtful and dedicated people had a serious impact. Now, I'm a fan of nonviolent civil disobedience. I'm no fan of any kind of violence and, and disorder or anything like that. Why? You know, it's fascinating to see politicians and the elites. They want the status quo. They want everything to remain fine. They want their wealth. They want it to work. Well, I don't completely disagree. You know, Greta Thunberg says, get rid of fossil fuels. And it's like, that would kill tens of millions of people. We don't want that. No, we want stability too. But what we don't want is centralized authority. Why? When when authority is hyper-centralized, you get instability. Let me spell it out for Trudeau and for Biden and for all these other psychopaths. Wealth inequality, well, that happens uh, when that gets too high, you get civil war. It's one of the reasons we're probably seeing civil war. It's true. The left doesn't have the answers to it. 
They propose psychotic authoritarian solutions that don't work. If too few people control too much power, eventually you get too many people with too little power saying we have no confidence in the system. You need a certain degree of decentralization to allow people who are aggrieved to have a redress of grievances. Otherwise, those people who are aggrieved will just tear the system down. That's what I I find so funny about the left's argument. They say, you know, white fragility and white grievance or whatever. And they're just like, you, you don't actually have any claims or whatever. And I'm like, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter if you're brown, black, white, Latino, Asian, whatever. If you feel aggrieved and you do not get some kind of release, you'll demand it and you'll take it. And that's, that's everybody. And that's kind of where we're heading. What Canada is doing right now is one of the most dangerous things we've seen in any Western nation. But the good news, I suppose, is that it's exposing them. A lot of this stuff about programmable currency and social credit system was happening behind the scenes. They're building out this infrastructure behind the scenes. This has forced them out into the open. So be peaceful, be safe. Do not let them win. People in Canada, y'all should be filing every possible lawsuit you can. Truly dark days. Cryptocurrencies may be the answer because they can try and stop them, but they can't. They really can't. What they're hoping is that once everyone's got a crypto account, they can just tell financial institutions to stop trading with certain accounts. Well, unfortunately, you can always just make a new wallet address. It's very difficult to stop. We'll see how this plays out. Canada, stay strong. I think things are getting dark. And I think if any if any civil war does happen in the US, Canada will be engulfed as well. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash TimCast. Thanks for hanging out. And I'll see you all then. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.